Take your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Every January and into February, we take some time to go back to the basics. We call this series every year Foundations of the Faith. Things that, as pastors, we feel are really important that we need to know at this time. And so we have covered a lot of things over the course of the last five years doing this. This is the sixth year we've done this. And this year, the, the topic I want to focus on, Pastor Christian and I will be alternating who preaches, and we are going to address an issue that I see in our own church, and I see in churches across the country, and Christians across the country, and it is the issue of distraction. We are easily distracted in our lives today. It really is the modern church's struggle. We struggle with the affairs of this life, with the frivolity of the world, the shininess of the world, many times the trials and temptations of the world, stealing our attention away from what is important to what isn't. And often we don't even realize it is happening. And so today I want to lay the foundation for these next several messages with the goal of what we should be doing. We find this in Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I don't know about you. When I was in elementary school, there was one day a year I really looked forward to. It was my favorite day of the year because we didn't learn anything that day. It was field day. I know they've changed field day today from what it used to be. But what it used to be was a lot of fun. And, and we had all kinds of different events that you could sign up for and participate in and do. And, and so we had things like um, the, the three-legged race. You know, or uh, the sack races or, or the softball throw. And I, I wasn't very good at the softball throw, as you can probably imagine. We had the long jump. And I can't jump. So I wasn't very good at that. But maybe it's because I got picked on a lot or something. I don't know. One thing I could do was run. I loved running. And so my event that I really liked was the 100-yard dash. So there in elementary school, they would take us down to the football field, and they'd line us all up on one goal line. And there, 100 yards away on the other goal line was the end of the race. And you can picture it in your mind's eye, all those, you know, maybe little first or second graders lined up on that line. And, and there's a, a handful of them that, you know, they, they were forced to sign up for something. And they're there, and they're just praying, Lord, don't let me fall. Don't, don't let me trip other people down, right? And then you have the other group. These are the people that this is their event, and they are laser-focused. I mean, this is the Olympics. They're ready. And the whistle blows, and off they go. And, and God does not answer. Well, I guess he answers some of the prayers of those kids with no, and they trip and fall and take a few with them. And the others are off, and off they go. And they're focused on the finish line. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer, the author, relates the Christian life to a race. And he does so because of the importance of focus in a race. As the athlete is running, and even as they prepare to run, in order to win, they must be laser-focused. As they prepare to run, their diet is different from my diet. As they sleep and as they work out, it is different because they have one goal in mind. 
to win that race. They are focused on what is needed. Now, Hebrews is an interesting book. It was written to a group of Hebrews, a group of Jews who had been ostracized for their faith. Many times their former friends and their families would have nothing to do with them because they had forsaken Judaism. They had forsaken what those people saw as the true religion in order to follow the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Many of them had lost family, friends, Their businesses had crumbled as they were being seen as dead. They wouldn't even visit their businesses. The apostle Paul, before he became the apostle Paul, had ransacked many of their homes, had run many of them out of Jerusalem. Suddenly, Judaism was looking pretty good again. Maybe we could kind of go back to that and, and not have to suffer all these things. The things of life were suddenly looking really good. They looked around at the Roman citizens around them, worshiping the other gods and being successful as a result. And they thought, maybe, maybe we could do that. And so the writer of Hebrews writes this letter in encouraging them not to go back. Don't go back to what you were. Stay focused. On what you are. And in every chapter, he shows how Christ is better than everything else. The first 10 chapters show that he's better. Chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, shows how the great men of the Old Testament look forward to the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. He shows how Jesus is better than the temple. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than Abraham and Moses. He's better than the the angels. He's better than everything and he's worth everything. And he concludes chapter 11 with this hall of faith. He tells us in verse 32, What more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets? who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He says, all these things that you've heard about, you've got something better. We have Christ. And so, he begins chapter 12, telling us that they're looking on. Let's read the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have 
surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here he tells us they didn't receive it. You have and they're looking on as you run this race. So run focused laser focused on what's ahead. He says run with a Christ word focus. How is it that we cannot be distracted? There's so much in this world that garners our attention from stuff. And the affairs of life, paying the bills and clothing our family, the struggles that we face. How can we not get distracted by these things and stay focused on what is eternally important? This text gives us three aspects, three aspects to how to run with a Christ word focus. And as we understand these three aspects, we can indeed stay focused as a church and as a believer in the midst of a troubled world. The first aspect we see in this text is the process of a Christ word focus. The process of a Christ word focus or the process of focusing on Christ. How do we do this? It's one thing to say we need to do it, but how do we accomplish this? In order to run the race of the Christian life, gazing intently on Christ, we must do three things. And each of these are found in verse number one. First, we are to lay aside every weight. We are to lay aside or throw aside, cast off Every weight. It's the idea of getting rid of every impediment, anything that would slow us down running. This is like the cross country team. Some of our kids run cross country. You can imagine as they're getting ready to run their cross country race, they show up to that regional final. We're there to cheer them on and they get on that starting line and they're wearing jeans and a baggy sweatshirt. They've got a big old backpack on their back filled with all their books. They're ready to go. We would look at them and say, what are you doing? You don't, you don't need that to run this cross country race, but it's for my school. These are my school books, right? Makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Instead, when they get ready to run cross country, what do they do? They get rid of everything that weighs them down. Their uniforms are light and breathable. Their shoes are light and durable so that they can run as fast as possible. Now, we need to note something about this. He says they are to lay aside those weights. You can picture and that day, as they would wear those long flowing robes, if they didn't get ready for the race properly, they would entangle themselves and fall. But we need to note that these things aren't necessarily bad things. 
he differentiates between weights and sin that easily besets us. These weights are not necessarily sinful. They're just not best. Let's return to our illustration again. Is there anything wrong with jeans? I like jeans. I wear them all the time. They are durable. They are comfortable. They are wonderful. Is there anything wrong with a baggy sweatshirt? Especially on a day like today. Not at all. What about a backpack with school books in it? Now, there are young people might argue, that's not good, but it is good. You need those in order to learn and you need it to carry the things around. All of those are things that are good. They're not bad. But in that situation, running the race, they are not best. In our life, we often weigh ourselves down with things that aren't wrong. But they're keeping us from accomplishing what we ought to be accomplishing for Christ's sake. For some, it is sports. We love sports. We watch sports. We follow sports. We play sports. We live for sports. And sports are good. We see sports throughout the Bible. But when they become your focus, they weigh you down. For some, it is outdoor activities. We love hunting and we love fishing and we love hiking and we love boating and we love four-wheeling. And those are good things enjoying God's creation. But when those things dominate your schedule and your finances and your attention, they steal it away from God. For some, it is prestige. We are doing all we can so that people will look at us and notice us and think that we are important and have it together. And so we do all the right things. We go to church and we go to Sunday school and we participate in the things, but not so that we may grow, but so that people will see that we are there. And a very good thing becomes a weight in our Christian life. Every one of us needs to examine our life and ask, what is holding me back from serving God with everything that I have? We make a lot of excuses as to why we can't do certain things or why we can't give certain ways because of the weights that we love. In his great book, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan speaks of Vanity Fair. As Pilgrim is heading towards the celestial city, the picture of the Christian heading towards heaven, he enters this city called Vanity Fair, and there are all kinds of wonderful trinkets and toys and things to see and glitter and glamour, and he is dissuaded from proceeding on towards Christlikeness by the things that are there. And it takes a man of God to come to him and say, what are you doing here? This stuff doesn't 
matter. Listen, your sports team is going to lose. They did last night. Your four-wheeler is going to break. Your camper's going to get old. Your gun is going to go to someone else. And in the end, it's all going to burn. But we are busy laying up treasures here on earth, weighing ourselves down with things that we say, but it's not wrong. Often we ask the question, what's wrong with it? And that is the stupidest question we could ask. Because the question we should be asking is, is this best? Too often we sacrifice what is best on the altar of what is okay. Too many of us are distracted by the things of this world. And you're missing out on peace and joy and happiness in Christ because of the weights you have chosen to weigh your life down with. They're not wrong, but they hinder us. And so we are encouraged to throw these things off as the runner throws off those things that hinder them in the run. So we are to throw off all those things that hinder our spiritual run so that we can focus on Christ. Many times they're not wrong. Many times they're not sin, but they hinder us. What in your life is hindering you in your walk with God? Let me encourage you. It's not worth it. Friends, fun, sports, job, family, stuff. Throw it off. We must run focused on Christ. We must lay aside every weight, but we see second that we are to lay aside every sin. Unlike the weights, these are things that are an offense to a holy and righteous God. Now we're at church. We understand what is right and what is wrong. And yet we choose to do what is wrong. These sins snatch our focus off of Christ and clutch it to themselves. And so we must cast off these sins. But the tragedy is. We're still in our earthly bodies. We're hounded by our edemic sin nature. And so we see that these sins are easily besetting. As you go walk through your woods, you don't walk through thinking, I hope I can find as many stickers as possible, as many of those thistles as I can. Well, you walk through and when you get back, you realize Man, I'm covered in these things. Right? And you spend time picking them out. You didn't look for them. They latched onto you. And it's the same way sin latches onto us. God warned Adam, sin, or uh, warned Cain, excuse me, sin is crouching at the door. And it seeks to dominate you. 
This word easily besetting, it's actually two words in the Greek, and it means literally to hold on tightly to cause entanglement. Its goal is to trip you up and make you fall. We must say no to sin. Now, we recognize that saying no to sin is a hard thing. And often we feel like we cannot overcome it. And so we are encouraged in Galatians chapter 5 that if we walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how is it that we throw off this sin? It is by walking in the spirit. And later this year, we'll walk through Galatians and we will see that walking in the spirit means following those spiritual disciplines we talked about last year. Things like Bible study and prayer and church attendance and serving other people for their betterment, not for ours and fasting. These are things that as we do, it turns our attention to God and we begin to say no to sin. We must examine our lives and cast off the sin that easily besets us. Lastly, in this process, we are to run, it says, with endurance, with perseverance. The idea is never giving up, but constantly pushing to the end. The reality is races, athletics are hard. That's why a lot of us don't do them anymore. Because they're tiring. And so in order to win, you have to persevere. You have to endure. I think of all those times when I was growing up with those soccer practices where you would hear those dreaded words the coach would say, all right, buddy, get on the line. That never followed with anything fun. Instead, you would run and run and run. When I was in college, our coach made us run till someone threw up. Now, why did he do that? Because he was sadistic a little bit, but mostly because he recognized that in the last part of the last half of the game, we needed to have the endurance to push through the ability when it hurt to say, I'm not done. I'm going to keep going. Now, why does he say this here? He says, because many times in this race of life, we feel like quitting. Life is hard. It is. And you're going to face things in life that make you think I'm done. I'm done with this church stuff and I'm done with this God stuff and I'm done with life and I'm sick and tired of it. I just want a nap. But the reality is we are called to persevere because God's strength will carry us through. You know, today you may feel as though there is no way you're going to make it through this year. Your life is crashing in around you. There are pressures on you that people don't even know. You are sick and tired of fighting. And you just want to be done. 
Let me encourage you. Don't stop. Keep going. Run focused on Christ. Well, this raises the question. How can I possibly do that? Because life is hard. This brings up the second aspect of running focused on Christ. And this is our motivation. It is the person of a focus on Christ. The person of focusing on Christ. And that person is Christ himself. He says we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says Christ is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The statement continues on with the theme of the book of Hebrews stating that, that Christ is supreme. He is better than everything. Focus on him. Christ is the one who founded, who authored this race. Christ is the one who consummated this race. This race is all about him. Your life is about Christ. It's not about fun. It's not about friends. It's not about ease or comfort. It's about Christ. And that's great because Christ is better than anything else. Note that the verse says that we are to look to Christ. This is intentionally stated as a word picture because unlike today's races, the ancient Olympic races were different. So when the Olympics happen, they line up for a race and they run in a circle. But in the ancient races, that was never the case. It was always straight. And so as you were on the starting line and as you were running, you were looking straight ahead to the finish line. But not just the finish line. In those races, it was customary on the other side of the finish line for a former champion to be standing, holding the wreath of victory. And so as those racers would run, they would be looking beyond the finish line to that champion holding the crown. And what a picture for us. We have a champion one who ran this race to absolute perfection and has given his righteousness to us. And he is standing on the other side of that finish line with the wreath of victory, waiting for you to cross it, to say, well done. And to give you that wreath of victory. He says, as we run this race, You can persevere. You can keep going by focusing on the judge, on the champion, Jesus Christ, standing on the other side of the finish line, waiting for you. It's all about him. Focus on him. So let's run focused on Christ. And as we do, we note three things about him. One is that he endured the cross. 
He died so you would win. Consider what this means. Jesus endured patiently everything it meant to die on a cross. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the one who spoke the world into existence, on Christmas Day, became his creation. And he lived everything it means to be human. He was cold and hungry and tired. He was abused and neglected and mistreated. And yet he never sinned. And for all of that, his reward was for his very creation to tell him, you're not God, I am, and to murder him. And not just murder him, but murder him in the most painful and shameful way man has ever invented. As they nailed him to that cross naked and hung him on the roadside for people to walk by and mock and ridicule him and say things like, if you're really God, come off the cross, let's see it. And all the while, not only could he not have just come off the cross, he could have just said, uncreated, and it all would have stopped. And yet, he became our sin so that we might become his righteousness. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously, who, him, who his own self bore our sins in his own body, on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live to righteousness by his wounds were healed. He died for you. He gave everything for you. I think we can handle a little hardship. But we forget that because we don't look at him. But when we run, focus on him and we see him on the other side of the finish line with the hands that are wounded and the feet that are wounded and the side that is wounded we are reminded I can do it too he endured the cross he despised the shame he thought nothing of the shame he despised it. He considered it as nothing to even think about. All that he faced, beaten, mocked, ridiculed, hung naked in front of everybody to die, he considered as not even worth a passing thought. Why? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He did it because he loves you. That's your God. That's what Jesus did for you. He didn't even give it a second thought. 
Now, let's be honest. Even the people we love, our family, when they ask for us to do something hard that will cost us, even with them, we give it a thought. Do I really want to do that? And God, Jesus Christ, didn't give it a second thought. And not only did he do it for us as his children, he did it for us as his enemies. He demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still his enemies, he died for us. That's why we can stay focused on him. But he didn't stay there. We see third that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see what is awaiting us. In the ancient times, the place of highest honor was at the right hand of the king. And so Christ ran the race and laid for us the ultimate example of faith. Excuse me, and received his eternal reward. The seat at the right hand of the king of the universe. It didn't kill him. He dominated and defeated death. He rose victoriously from the grave and he is seated at God's right hand where he makes intercession for us. And so as you run this race of life, as you face the hardship, as the weights weigh you down and the sin snatches onto you to try to trip you up and you feel like quitting and you need to persevere, you remember that Jesus is at God's right hand interceding for you. And he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And one day he will return and he will make all things right. And death will be no more. And we will live with him for all eternity. And football games won't matter. And four-wheelers won't matter. And money won't matter. Christ will matter. So look to him who is seated at the right hand of God. Seeing the person of a focus on Christ, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, and the price that he paid, this should motivate us as we run, to run focused on him. Let's turn now finally to the third reason, the third aspect of this focus on Christ, and that is the purpose the purpose of focusing on Christ. Why? I mean, it's hard. And as life continues on and as society continues to degrade, living for Christ is way less popular and way less helpful in this world. You're not going to get rich that way. So why would we want to do it? Well, he tells us. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Christ. Think closely about him. Meditate on him. Focus on him because he 
endured this hostility of sinners against himself, this hatred. They hated Jesus. The world will tell you that as you become more successful, you'll get more people around you and become more popular. But Jesus started with hundreds and thousands around him and he ended with no one by himself because they hated him. And so we consider him as we face that same thing. Why? Two reasons. Lest you be wearied. Lest you be sick. Or discouraged. We become weary in life. We're just tired. Just want it to stop. How can you keep going? How can you dig deep and keep running? By focusing on Christ. We do this so that we don't get weary. When I become weary in life, when I'm ready to quit, it is because I've lost my focus. I've forgotten what it's about. When I was in college, my sophomore year, we had a good team, but we lost. We lost to Moody Bible College in the regional tournament. They went on to win the national championship. The next year, we came back, and the first session we had was in the weight room and we went in the weight room and there in the weight room was this giant picture of Moody Bible College and the national championship banner. Why did coach do that? Because the weight room stinks. It's no fun. I mean, some guys love it. I'm obviously, I don't love it. And you get in there and you think, why am I doing this? You're in practice in the cold. We were in the UP. It's cold and it's yucky and you're tired. Why do you keep going? And you see that picture and you remember, oh, that's why. It gives you motivation. We have something far better. We have an eternity with Christ. Why do you keep going? Because heaven's coming. Because Jesus is there. So don't get weary. Secondly, he says, lest you faint in your minds or become faint-hearted. It means to give up. Once again, we're faced with the fact that this is not an easy race. We will feel deep in our souls like giving up. But we need to keep our focus on Christ. And when we do, we receive that motivation, that power, that strength to keep going. See, the problem is we are struggling in our lives. We're struggling in the church because we're distracted. We're distracted by the things of this world. Things that aren't bad, sometimes by things that are bad, but all things that steal our attention away from what really matters. We look at our giving statements. We think, oh, what's going on? We're behind because we're distracted by things that don't really matter. 
And rather than invest in eternity, we're investing in the temporal. And we make excuses like, I can't afford it, or like, well, my, my service is my giving. You're laying up for yourself treasures on earth, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn. And you're going to stand before God with nothing. Instead, we ought to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We're struggling with focus in life, with our walk with God, with our time in prayer. We're struggling with our faithfulness and attendance. We're struggling with overcoming sin because we're distracted by things that don't actually matter. Our kids are watching it. They see adults who say they love God, but love the world more. We're distracted. We've seen today the three aspects of focusing on Christ, the process, the person, and the purpose. We've seen that we need to lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance. We're to gaze intently on the one who procured salvation for us through the shame of the cross and is now sitting at the right hand of God. And it's to be done so that we don't quit. We must remember life, this race, is not about fun or friends or the acquiring of stuff. It's all about Christ. So let me ask you this question. What's your focus? What matters the most to you in life? Is it Christ? Or are you distracted by something less important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us Christ, for not withholding him from us, but richly bestowing him on us. Forgive us for the sin of distraction. Forgive us for thinking that life is about us or our comfort or our pleasure. Forgive us for being caught up in the affairs of this life and help us to focus on you, to make everything about you, to give all for you until your kingdom comes. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.